Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. With me today, I'm very excited. Uh, this gentleman is a game designer, created a very cool game um, that we're going to talk about, uh, as well as a podcaster um, and just a positive force in the uh, TTRPG space, especially when it comes to uh, diversity and inclusion. So yeah, if you would like to introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, my name is D'Angelo Murillo, and I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I am a writer, a game designer, and uh, I do whatever I can to help our community uh, with inclusion and diversity and in whatever way that I sort of can through fundraising and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we are we are state neighbors. So this will be a fun conversation. I'm from I'm, I'm in New Mexico. Um, oh, right and, on. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting how how close but so different uh our two states are so uh <laughs> exactly. yeah so yeah what i always like to start is just like how did you get into nerd stuff in general yeah for sure so uh i really have to thank my father for for introducing me to all that because he himself it's funny because like um he's also obviously like chicano and all kinds of stuff, mexican-american and he had a harder life growing up where he uh essentially was in the poorer neighborhoods and he him him and his community had to form gangs in order to make sure that that like their community was safe from other people you know trying to steal resources or what have you and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff so it's very like hard in life but at his core uh he loved star trek he loved star wars he loved battlestar galactica all these different you know geeky nerdy things despite being like this super cool like cholo and like womanizer and all that sort of stuff and everything so when he had me um, he immediately, you know, made it like at the forefront of my mind. It's like, just be true to yourself. Like, don't yeah. ever ashamed of liking, you know, something. Uh, if you, if you like star Wars, then like, you know, fly that flag. If you like, you know, anything else, you know, that's just do it with your whole, you know, being, because let me tell you, you know, uh, what there's nothing to gain from hiding, you know, your, you know, who you true truly are and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I took that to heart. And I, uh, maybe too much to heart. And I like <laughs> down like all every rabbit hole, anime, comic books, all that sort of stuff. And I, uh, loved it so much. And, and yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I, I think it's, it's so fascinating. That's one of the things that I really love about nerddom and in that like there is no one nerd there's no one geek like we're we intersect with so many different things especially yeah uh in situations where we don't have an, a choice right like you touched you talked about a very important thing like uh, the experience that your father had um and it's an experience that a lot of people have it's like you grow up in a place where there's not a lot of opportunity there's not a lot of mm -hmm. um choice there's not a lot of people out there in the world looking to protect you including the people yeah. that are supposed to protect you and so you end up in situations where it's like me and my friends have to protect ourselves yep. um so yeah gangs get a lot of bad rap and i mean for sure they do things that are not good um but they also were created to protect people because nobody else was going to do it. Yeah. The, the, everyone was like, don't call the cops. Don't call. You know, you <laughs> yeah. know, we'll handle it ourselves because there'll be, 
less damage that way. So yeah. it's uh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, did you did you have to deal with any of that like as a kid yourself? Did you? I mean, uh, to yeah, to a much lesser extent for sure. Because my parents, uh, I I love their story because my mother and father were like polar opposites in a lot of ways. Um, because my dad was like I said before, like a womanizer, and I don't mm-hmm. say that lightly. Like he yeah. definitely like uh knew how to put on the charm and all that kind of stuff, and he had like a lot of women as beck and call. And then my mom was very like uh stewardess. She she was she's also Chicano, Mexican American, um, but she of was of those like um and and for Mexicans or probably a lot of Latinos or or Latine, um, there's a situation where the past uh, generations handled things in, in different ways, like one of which was full blown embracing their heritage and being loud and proud about who they are. And mm-hmm. then another side is uh, being so ashamed of their heritage um, that they want to just be Americanized. They want to erase as yeah. much from their culture for their kids. So that's easier for them to become, you know, uh, American, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what my mom had, where she told everyone that she was Greek and she uh, lied, you know, because she's a lot more fairer skinned than, yeah. my, you know, me or my dad or whatever and all that kind of stuff. So she said she was Greek to, to pass by and she didn't really like anything about her culture that much until she met my father. And then they're two polar opposites because she loved European stuff and she like thought outside of the box for a lot of things, had dreams of grandeur and all that kind of stuff. And he was very like stuck in his ways where he was really, really talented, really, really good looking, you know, smart and everything like that. So when they came together, it was an amazing, you know, explosion of creativity and they uh, eventually became artists and mm-hmm. they both decided that they were going to like uh, legit go down that path. They were not going to go down the path of corporate America or anything like that. Uh, but that also meant that me and my sister had to grow up uh, for a good number of years um essentially in poverty where like i i bear the brunt of it for sure because i'm the oldest kid uh so i would hear the 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 hardships and the strategies of like how are we going to make it to like you know how are we going to pay our mortgage this month or how are we going to you know x y and z and uh so it was definitely like a situation um where i there was hardship growing up but thankfully my life was never like like threatened threatened you know and i didn't have to worry about you know uh, even though I have been jumped, it wasn't as bad as my like dad had it, you know, back in the day and all that kind of mm. stuff. And we eventually moved to like the suburbs, uh, like when I was like, around eleven years old, and things got uh, like way smoother uh, from there. But um, uh, yeah, my my dad has something called ghetto sense, and that's exactly what like I have. Is like my wife, she's like whiter than milk. I love her to death, uh, but yeah. she has no awareness, like situational awareness yeah, at yeah, all, yeah. you know. And then uh, <clears throat> so my head's always still on a swivel, no matter what, and everything. Yeah. So. But it's uh, it's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, when you, <clears throat> how old were you when you said? Because you you said you got jumped. That was an experience that like happened a lot here too. I grew up in a small town in in New Mexico for most of my life, mm-hmm. and um, it was never like if you were able to secure a one on one fight, you were a lucky person, right? Uh, yeah. Because it was usually like, you know, this dude and 14 of his friends show up when you think you're going to be able to fight fair. Um, so yeah, I'm curious, like how old were you when that happened? Uh, so it was like second and third grade when I was wow. mainly over there. Um, so I went to a school that was predominantly black, uh, which was, fun. Oh my God. Uh, this, this was a stupid situation, but, um, so I was in second grade. Everything was fine. You know, obviously my name is D'Angelo. And, yeah. uh, at the time there was a very popular nineties, like R and B artist also named D'Angelo. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah. So, um, so what happened, le- legit true story. My parents can, can attest this as well. 
uh, I was just doing my thing, living my best life. You know, my skin is darker than normal, like, you know, uh, Chicanos and all that kind of stuff. And sure mm-hmm. enough, my teacher was like, hey, D'Angelo, uh, you know, we have Black History Month coming up and we want to have a kid from every grade go ahead and speak about how proud they are to be African-American. Would you like to go and, and speak about that? And I was like, oh, my God, we just went to Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, I'm African-American. I am so proud to be like so legit. I told my parents, come to the cafeteria. I have like they picked me for something and they, and they didn't know what. Yeah. Uh, so sure enough, they go to the cafeteria, they see me get up in front of everyone, uh, and then say like how proud I am to be black and how <laughs> proud I am to be African American. My parents were appalled by this. So, uh, in the car ride home, they had to have the uncomfortable conversation with me that like, uh, listen, like, uh, just do the math. You know, yeah. I'm Mexican, your mom's Mexican, therefore you are. And then we had a huge <laughs> argument because it was like my teacher who's literally paid to teach me stuff, uh, told me that I'm African American, therefore I am. Af- and it was like a whole big thing. <laughs> but anyways, uh, after that sort of happened, um, I think that started like animosity with my, my classmates. Cause they were like, you're not black. And then yeah. like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then sure enough, like, uh, got, and I didn't have the social like awareness at that time because I came from like, a much whiter school, like prior mm-hmm. uh, to that for first grade. So I came to this school, like not like hard at all, no edge, no whatever. Yeah. Just like, hi. And then like, you know, <laughs> and then, uh, and then sure enough, after I got jumped a few times, then I started to realize uh, that like, okay, I need to have an edge. I need to have, you know, uh, to be a little bit hard. That way um, people will think twice, you know, about, yeah. about all that kind of stuff. And that always carried with me later on in sort of life. Granted, I also like, I'm sure every BIPOC person does this, you know, where they they've also learned to code switch because if you make mm-hmm. white people feel too uncomfortable, then it gets even worse. So yeah. it's like, yeah. yeah, so it's this <laughs> wild experience. Between two. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, that's yeah, it's yeah. it is. It's it's pretty fascinating. It's it's uh, especially like in the situation like that where. Yeah, I mean, because Arizona is from what I understand of it, Arizona is diverse, but it's also mm-hmm. very heavily white run. Right. Yeah. There's there's and a lot of Republican. Here, yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, even like we deal, we dealt with it. A lot of like our former governor was accused of like giving too many Mexicans IDs, um, mm-hmm. and uh, that we had too many local illegal immigrants and stuff like that. And yeah. I think that New Mexico handled it pretty well, and they were like, okay, like we'll go through this slow process of kind of like making sure everybody is supposed to be here or whatever and goes through like the proper channels and ha- we had to get real IDs. And then Arizona was like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to pull you over and we're going to send you back to Mexico that yep. day. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's Sheriff so Joe Ohio wild. was like, so terrifying. It's even yeah. terrifying nowadays. Cause recently a law got changed where you can no longer record the police. Uh, if you are within eight feet of them, uh, they yeah. have permission to, you know, approach you, take your you know phone away and, and arrest you. Even if you're the one being pulled over, there's mm-hmm. there's some circumstances, but it's it's like and the uh the independent investigation for police and how they handle things is now all being run by cops. So it's all <laughs> like it's super weird. Yeah. Uh there is a very progressive voice. Uh uh like these these newer generations are starting to pop up, which we're slowly turning Arizona blue. Um uh, thankfully. And mm-hmm. I I think it's probably gonna be a couple of decades before we're able to actually get it to be like legit blue, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty spicy sometimes here. Yeah. 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 That's, that's tough. I mean, you, it sounds like you, you kind of, you picked that up pretty early on uh, mm-hmm. in life. Um, when do you think that like, well, I guess I'll, I'll ask that question later, but like, so when it came to 
the nerd stuff and, and games and stuff like that, like when did you yeah. first get into TTRPGs then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've always been into like uh, video games and everything mm-hmm. like that, you know, because of because uh, of that heart, like that, that that upbringing that I was sort of exposed to, it was kind of built me a mindset of like, I've got to be make myself as small as possible. That way I don't consume too many resources or I don't make anything, mm-hmm. any waves for my parents because they're already yeah. handling a lot, you know? Yeah. So that like awareness was already there. So one way to cope was uh, video games where I could pick up my Game Boy Advance or my like, you know, N64 or whatever. And then you usually play like Japanese RPGs because they were very long, had a lot of depth, a lot of side quests, and they could consume a lot of my attention and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, but when it came to tabletop RPGs, I actually uh, got into that in 2008 when I was uh, 18 years old, you know, fresh out of high school. Um, I knew about Dungeons Dragons because it's like the mecca of uh, like geekdom, you know, like yeah. we see all the iconic geeks play Dungeons and Dragons. But the problem was it was very hard for me to find uh, groups. And like I did find groups back in the day through like uh, various online sort of forms of, and I would apply to go and do that. But I got rejected like uh, about three or four times uh, from a Ma- Vampire the Masquerade group as well as, you know, D&D groups. And I got kind of got fed up where I was like, oh, my God, like, like, what's the point? You know, I may as well just like pick up the books and learn myself. And then sure enough, I did that where like fourth edition just came out and I took my whole like grocery store courtesy clerk paycheck and went straight over to the like game store and like yeah. handed them because I think it was like a hundred dollars at the time uh, and then handed them the uh, the money essentially and then got the player's handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide and then the uh, monster manual. And then I just sat there like and studied as hard as I could, harder than any test, like SATs or whatever, yeah. you know, uh, to, to learn how to be a dungeon master. And yeah. like it was rocky at for sure at first. And I invited a lot of my friends to to play because they also wanted the experience of Dungeons and Dragons and they didn't have any other outlet or resource. So I got to play with them and it was very rocky. Definitely to use a lot of railroads uh, early on and like every mistake in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but sure enough, like after the session, they would be like, when's the next one? Like, I, I love this. Like, please let us, you know, keep, continue with this. And I was like, oh, all right. And then, um, and then sure enough, one thing led to another and I ended up finding myself, uh, running like three to four games a week, like, um, in like those games in the same universe and they you know, collided with one another and their plot lines and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it was pretty cool. Cause it was one of those shining moments. The first time in my life where someone was like, oh my God, you're so good at this. And I was like, I'm good at something, you know, like, like, oh my God, like, yeah. I guess I am, you know? And, uh, so that was like a really like awesome moment that it's like, all right, I think this is something that I'm, I should pursue. And, uh, yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. So fourth edition was the first edition you picked up. Yes. Yeah. What yeah. was that? What was that like to learn? Uh, it wasn't too bad. Like I understand, um, like why everyone gravitated to fifth edition and why people liked 3.5 uh, as opposed to fourth edition. But I actually really, really enjoyed fourth edition for a lot of reasons, uh, um, mainly because it was it was grid based. You know, it you yeah. almost had to have a grid uh, map because a lot of their their stuff in the book relied on it to be like, you know, if you have someone adjacent to you, if you have someone diagonal from you, you know, like uh, it, it, you really needed to know where you were and what was around you, uh, which was limiting in some cases, because I found myself gravitating more towards theater of the mind play style where you don't use any maps or anything like that. Uh, you yeah. simply just, it's a verbal sort of experience, uh, mainly because of laziness where I like, it was a pain 
to set up a whole scene with all the minis and terrain and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then they go like, actually, let's go back to the shop. And they're like, okay. And I like wipe the table and set <laughs> yeah. everything back up, you know, for them. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it caused a lot of issues. I remember one player got pissed because we decided to do theater of the mind and her whole build was uh, built around uh, playing on a grid. And she just like was useless because nothing, you know, all of her, her keywords were like adjacent, diagonal, all that sort of stuff. So she had to constantly ask me for like where everyone was. Yeah. It was hard for me to keep track, you know? So yeah, uh, it definitely had its issues. I strongly believe though, if fourth edition came out uh, today in this virtual tabletop, you know, um, sphere, it would have thrived because like, it's so much easier to do everything nowadays. Yeah. Um, yeah. With that. So it's like, it was great system, wrong time, uh, I would yeah. say, but I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I think it's it's interesting. It's it's fun. Like we look at so many different editions and experiences of of coming yeah. into the game. And I, you know, my friend Elias, he he started on like I, th- I think it, I I misremember exactly which one, but like he was playing second edition back in the day. Oh and, wow! And, yeah, yeah. And he's like, honestly, like it's it's easy for me. Like you know, Thaco is easy. Like you just yeah, because that's what I learned. I knew it. So yeah, when you're looking at it, and you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to have to try to learn like what hits chainmail mm-hmm. at this eight. Like he's like, now you, you know, it's different because it's just like you're coming up on fifth edition or Pathfinder two E or whatever. Yeah, like even I'm sure going back and trying to play Vampire the Masquerade first edition is going to mm-hmm. feel weird after playing fifth edition. Oh, you know, for I don't sure, know how much yeah. those rules have changed, but like, you know what I mean? Like, so it's it's interesting to see <clears throat> because we get so much outside reference of different pop culture things. And fourth edition is like that one. That's just like, even people who haven't played it have probably heard a story about how people don't yep. like fourth edition. Um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. In a general speaking way. And, and yeah, you're not the first person to tell me that you enjoyed it, but, um, but you're one of the few. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Cause even printing out the, the character sheet, cause back in fourth edition, uh, um, you don't, you didn't have the free form to tell what you're going to do. There was a specific ability like fighters and all. So imagine like, you know, for spellcasters, you have like fireball, here's the details, here's all the information, you know, but you know, make that times 10 for every class. So rogues, rangers, Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. So it was very world of Warcraft sort of like where you had specific abilities. Uh, But when you printed out your character sheet, you had like 10 pages because uh, they had all those sort of abilities. Yeah. So um it was wild yeah yeah what was that uh your first table like in terms of like the group uh like did you have was it all like a diverse group of friends or or um Uh, no so it was very white um very very white and uh it was definitely a growth for me for sure because all my life um i try my best to make myself as small as possible as a reoccurring theme uh, where I didn't want to you know rock the boat make any waves you know have everyone be mad at me very much Mm -hmm. a people pleaser sort of thing so when i found myself in a position of power as a dungeon master uh that's when i started to to grow as a person quite a bit you know because um i unfortunately would surround myself with very toxic groups where they would be like blatantly misogynistic or racist and all that kind of stuff but then they would look at me and be like you're not actually mexican so you you can't get mad at this Oof. and it's like and, I, and even at the time i was like you can't say that but also yeah. I was surrounded with a room filled of people who share that same opinion. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't like, I felt alone, you know, I couldn't do anything, but as time went on, uh, it's, it soon became my responsibility to make sure that I care for my table and make sure that everyone feels safe and comfortable because yeah. it got to situations. Like I said, I had like three to four groups 
uh, both of men and women, uh, you know, from different like, you know, cultures and all that kind of stuff. And in one particular group, there was a, uh, a woman in there that she was very attractive and all that kind of stuff, very extroverted and everything. So naturally these geeky dudes started to fall for her. And mm-hmm. one of them took it too far where they started to like, you know, walk her out, you know, walk to her, walk her out to her car uh, even though she said, no, don't follow me to my car, you know, and she started yeah. bringing it up to me being like, D'Angelo, can you walk me to my car? I need to talk to you or can I stay late with you to talk with you? And then that way it like it gives her a safe space. But she didn't have she didn't feel comfortable telling me outright because she didn't know how I'd react, you know, which was, yeah. uh, you know, um, I can't falter for that because I've heard stories, horror stories of someone being like, hey, I feel uncomfortable with this. And they're like, cool, you're kicked out of the group. And like suddenly mm-hmm. they're their social circle was broken because yeah. you know they they dare spoke out you know so i quickly had to to learn that like if i you know indecision is a decision you know if i'm going to uh, be in this position of power then i need to make the decisions that are right for the group which which unfortunately well not unfortunately actually which which meant that i needed to deal with these conflicts you know firsthand and be like no this is unacceptable there is no if ands or buts about it you know if you want to be at my table you have to act right Otherwise, mm-hmm. you have to walk away and, and form your own table. Uh, and uh, but that came like after years of like uh, growth and working on it. You know, there's many, yeah. many occasions where I simply stayed silent and pretended it didn't happen and felt like wrecked with guilt, you know, for yeah. uh, a long time. So that was like, yeah, my first tables uh, were like pretty rough um, for sure. Like I appreciate them in, in like. Very, like, everyone has their place and everyone has their seasons, you know, yeah. uh, they were great for being geeks with, but then when it came to politics or anything outside of that, it wasn't a good match. And it got to the point where I had to like walk away eventually. But, uh, um, yeah. 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 I, I, I'm curious. Um, I mean, I definitely understand that too. Like, you, you know, when you're that young, um, it's, it is a little bit harder, especially like if you're, you know, you're not used to being that, that sort of, uh, force of, of power and, and, yeah. you know, taking authority over, over a situation like that. Um, but yeah, I'm curious, like, you know, when you were playing fourth edition, when you were playing those early games, did mm-hmm. you ever think about the fact that there wasn't representation for you, that there wasn't any kind of, uh, Mexican representation or Latin representation, anything like that? Oh, for sure. All the time, you know, cause I like growing up, um, looking at the, the fantasy medium, uh, you don't see any skin tones other than like white, you know, looking at Lord yeah. of the Rings, Harry Potter, you know, X-Men, all these sort of different, like, uh, fantastical mediums. Uh, it's, it's very, you know, Eurocentric and everything. Yeah. Uh, and if there are darker skin tones, they're the bad guys, you know, they're the, yeah. uh, they're the, the savages that like you can't reason with, you only have to kill. There's no point in diplomacy, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And like that really, you know, did damage, uh, to, to my psyche and a lot of other people's, you know, uh, self-worth and self-esteem, especially as writers or as geeks and all that kind of stuff, because you would, uh, but the, the good thing is once I found this position of power, by being a dungeon master and the main storytellers, I could craft stories that were more progressive. And, you know, uh, and thankfully there, there were some people who like did get offended by it by like, Oh my God, you know, they're gay too. Like, Oh my mm-hmm. God, they're like, you know, Brown too. Like, I can't believe this, you know, you're just pushing this agenda, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I'd be like, all right, well, you don't have to come here anymore if yeah. you don't want to. And then like they would either leave, which was, you know, good for both parties or mm-hmm. they would stay and then I would actually change their opinion and they would actually get used to it. You know, they got normalized yeah. to like seeing two men kiss and even get to the point where I remember there was one like a uh, particular dude. He was like, uh, he played high school at back my, uh, or sorry, he played football back in my high school or whatever. 
And he was very like kind of conservative. It was mainly whatever the mainstream idea of cool was or a man was. That's what his, you know, he thought was was best or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at first he was like, oh, two guys kissing. That's gross. But then it actually got to the point where he started to actually find like but like he started to adore the different like plot lines that involved, you know, LGBTQ or like, you know, uh, interracial couples and all that kind of stuff. And, he, and I saw him like change his sort of opinion. Maybe that was his opinion the whole time, but he was doing a front or an exterior, you yeah. know, of like, oh, that's gross because society says it's gross, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was like pretty cool to, to see that. But it did definitely had like it, it was cool, though, because my groups attracted anyone who felt outside of the norm, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, so BIPOC players gravitated towards my sessions because they knew like, like I wasn't gonna mention slavery or like, I wasn't gonna mention like anything like, uh, that we had to deal with, you know, the, like, like segregation or anything like that. So, uh, it was a safe space and a table, which I didn't even recognize that I was doing because I was, and it was mainly like I writing the stories that I want to be a part of or hear or read and all that kind of stuff. So, and yeah. same with women, they seemed to, to gravitate more towards it because it was very, like safe space for them where they could find power and they weren't, weren't going to be over-sexualized or they weren't going to be like, you know, made fun of or anything like that. Um, and that was like, it felt good that I was able to provide a safe space, you know, uh, for these different players who like um, always fear joining the traditional quote unquote sort of groups where it's like, you know, uh, middle-aged sort of white dudes um, that like love bikini male and like, you know, <laughs> women are just tools and not actually like people with depth and all that. So, yeah. 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 That's Luke. So were you playing these games like at a game store or how were people finding out about it? Um, it was all word of mouth. So it started with me playing with my friends from like high school that I remained in contact with mainly through world of Warcraft. And then, uh, and then one thing led to another where, uh, everyone had a blast. And when we'd go to bigger social events, everyone would like rave about their Dungeons and Dragons session. And they're like, you're the dungeon master. I want to play. And then like different groups were starting to form because of that. And then, uh, it, yeah, it got to the point where like through word of mouth, either my coworkers or like, you know, um, different friend circles started to, to bleed over to sort of that. And, uh, um, that was the main way to do it. And then for most sessions, I would either do it at my own house, but it was kind of like, awkward because my room was super hot you know and especially yeah. in arizona and all that <laughs> yeah and then it, you know the dogs would go crazy or like you know my dad had band practice or something like that and then uh or we'd play at a game store but it was kind of a similar like situation where even though we're at a game store uh there's a lot of the the like unfortunate sort of side of the gaming community where you do have those like uh sort of crusty older white dudes who don't know any personal boundaries or are mm-hmm. still misogynistic or anything like that that would literally hover over our table to judge whether I was a good dungeon master or if there was a female player, they'd hover over her and try to give her like, like unasked advice, you know, unsolicited mm. advice and all yeah. of that stuff. And it got like way too creepy to the point where we're like, you know what, let's just play, you know, we'd rather sweat and be, you know, have a <laughs> yeah. private game in my room than to like, you know, do this here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we even went, we hunted for a while cause we were thinking of like, renting private booths at public libraries or something like that, but we were all broke college kids. So yeah. um, it was mainly in my room at my house. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's tough. I mean, that the digital age, like, you know, and really COVID uh, it's, yeah. it's always weird to like say anything good about this time, but like everybody being used to just getting on a video um, mm-hmm. call now and doing, and doing their games, I think has really opened it up. I do. I still, 
as much of an introvert I am, I I still think it'd be great to play with my home home yeah. group in a in a in a in a home game. But like, yeah, it definitely makes it so much easier um, for us to just be like where we can just get together. You can be as comfortable yeah. as you as you want to make yourself be, and uh, yeah, and then we just play and have fun. Uh, and you don't have crusty old white dude standing over your shoulder exactly it was <laughs> oh, it was the worst yeah i can i can i can see that it's it's weird i mean even now like uh being kind of in a part of this community i still i still sometimes feel weird going into a game store or a comic book store um and i've never had like a bad experience also like i'm i'm a pretty big dude so like yeah. It, would, it would be so funny to see somebody like talk shit in the first Try place. But like, and, yeah. 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 But like, it's, but it's still, it's just like that awkward silence that like, you know, kind of monitoring you that like, oh, why mm. are you here? Look that, um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's interesting to like, to do that. And I mean, I've had friends be like, Hey, we should go to this place. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like I want to feel welcome and I want to feel comfortable when I'm playing this game and yeah. enjoy it. And I don't, necessarily get that vibe all the time yeah exactly yeah yeah um but yeah so i'm curious like i mean obviously you're you're playing all these games i'm assuming all of this stuff is like homebrew are you doing adventure modules or um i always found it uh easier to just make my own stuff you know up um one because like i I picked up the first module from like fourth edition which was in the actual no i don't think it was actually in the uh in the book but like uh it was a module that i picked up which seemed like a pretty dope adventure but then i just could not understand how to read the modules uh like i expected there to be a very logical like here's where you guys start out and here's where you guys go and all that stuff but it was very loose mm-hmm. and they you know mentioned things like you know uh uh plot hook and all that kind of stuff and at the time i didn't quite understand what a plot hook was so there were just weird paragraphs of like misinformation like like uh like different information. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. So I was like, uh, I'm just gonna do it myself. And like, yeah. that's a reoccurring thing for me is like, I'm just gonna do it myself, you know, because <laughs> yeah. it's better that way. So like, I rarely run modules. I love the thought of a module and the concepts of a module, but mm-hmm. um, actually having to do the research to understand what's going on in the module and then bringing it to the table and fitting it, you know, uh, for them is, is like kind of difficult for me. And I have ADHD. So if I can't get it within like a minute, then I move on. So yeah. uh, it's mostly homebrew. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, y'all. It's your favorite host. And I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. You will also get free access to all uh, micro RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast. Subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. 
Link is in the description. Thank you so much. And back to the episode. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's really cool because, you know, having all that experience, I'm sure, really helped when you decided, um, fuck it, I'm going to make my own game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, the floor is yours, but you you created a game. You had a successful Kickstarter uh, recently, and and mm-hmm. yeah, it's I'm, I'm glad it's out there, but go ahead. Yeah, for sure. So uh, the name of it is Emerald Templars, and it's been an idea that I've had and, and like used in my homebrew sort of D&D uh, sessions where they're this organization, this faction of uh, individuals who decide to step up for their community and, and help by like essentially being monster slayers and go out and uh, protect their communities from the threats of like sort of chaos magic and all the things that it could do were because uh, I always thought that like the concept of magic and fantasy worlds is terrifying, you know, like a teleportation, mm-hmm. you know, spell. And I always think back of Stargate where like, if anything goes wrong, then like half your body's sliced off or you're in a mountain or like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like, yeah, producing fire from your hands and getting that wrong the first time you try it. And it like sets the house on fire, or, or, you know, melts your face off or whatever. And like, I wanted to really like put a focus on that to be like, you know, okay, well, you know, uh, what would probably happen if, if magic was in like real life. And I feel like, a lot of people like the rich and the elites would recognize that like, oh, this is something that will, is powerful. So let's hoard that information and keep it for ourselves and let the commoners not know how to access this sort of stuff, just like real life, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, and everything. So sure enough, um, because of that abuse by the rich and the elite, uh, it causes all sorts of chaos to happen where like portals get open to like other realms and, and abnormal creatures spawn or or the dead are, you know, uh, brought forward or you know, weird beings from the cosmos are contacted and it influences a whole city um, in major ways. So like the Emerald Templars are that faction to be like, all right, no more. We're going to regulate magic and we're going to go out and anyone who doesn't comply, we're going to go ahead and, you know, uh, either exile them or if they like try to try to fight back us, you know, against us without any sort of like um, compromise being reached, we're going to go ahead and, and take them down for the safety of our community and all that kind of stuff. And uh and then sure enough, after like, you know, uh, generations upon generations of the Emerald Templars being these sort of grand heroes, uh, it dies off because all of the major nations now can regulate magic themselves. They no longer need this faction to police, you know, magic. Uh, but still, because of their hard work and efforts, they're still um, a like symbolic force, kind of like the like the Peace Corps or mm-hmm. like, you know, anything like that where it's like, oh, it exists and they do good work, but like it's nothing major. Uh, but a lot of people now gravitate towards the Emerald Templars uh, because all you have to do is serve for two years and you get either if you're a criminal, you get your sentence reduced or if you're trying to, if you have student loan debt or like medical debt or something like that, you can get it paid off. Or if you want to open your own business, you can go or if you want to be a politician, you can go ahead and get like renowned saying like I served our community and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really these like people who are using it as a means to an end in the present sort of era of the game um that way they can go ahead and get that assistance they need but really what happens is that they are the generation where everything goes back to being weird and odd and and things go wrong so they have to rise up and that's a big component of emerald templars is that you have like this individual who's a like full-fledged person uh with thoughts and feelings and you know uh, all that sort of stuff and they um have to handle this because they're oath bound to, to fulfill their contract uh, and then after their contract is done, they can decide to to stay or they can decide to go and leave and retire 
you know? So like, that's like the gist of the, the game. Yeah. So when I started to play a lot of other tabletop RPGs, I started to recognize a pattern on different things uh, of being like, all right, well, this tabletop RPG is fun, but it's kind of clunky in X, Y, and Z regards. And I think because of that reason, it's turning people away. But the concept is really cool. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, even for Dungeons and Dragons in fourth edition compared to fifth edition. Uh, and I got to play a little bit of advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and I was like, okay, I understand why certain elements are fun. But I also feel like if things were more streamlined, it would be uh, more fun and approachable. But and then there's also other aspects that I feel like need a little bit more depth. And it got to the point um, where I started to to like just decide, like, maybe I should just do this myself sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, especially when it got to like, I was going to work, use this one system because everyone goes like, don't make your own system. Just go ahead and, and uh, use something that already exists. Like, just make it D&D, you know, because 60% of the market is Dungeons and Dragons. But I was like, but I don't really want to uh, <laughs> yeah. because, yeah, because like if because uh, the, the sad part is, you know, when inevitably Dungeons and Dragons moves on to sixth edition or five, you know, 5.5 or something like that, uh, then this material will be outdated and then it will no longer be relevant. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, uh, I found this other system that I think will be pretty cool. It's new. It's like, you know, upcoming. I think it'll be awesome. Uh, but then I found myself like into hitting a wall with open game licenses. Cause I like, I'm always like, let's just do it. And then like, we'll figure out everything as we go along, but then that's like legal stuff. And it's yeah. like, all right, we can't do that anymore. And then, <laughs> yeah. uh, so once I got wrapped into that, where it's like, you know, here's a contract. You know, every game you sell, we get a, a portion of it or like this is we, we retain the rights to what you created, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, never mind. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so that's when I decided to like just start my own system. Uh, and it was very, very intimidating to go down that road yeah. uh, because like, you know, we always think of someone like, you know, writing a novel or creating, you know, a, a video game or a song or something like that is, is a, something that we can't do. You know, it's someone mm-hmm. else who does that. That's way better than us, you know. Uh, when in reality, like, you know, games, you know, can be created by following a logical format. You create rules for the games. You know, every question that the player has has to have an answer. And mm-hmm. if you can accomplish that task, then you created a game. You know, is it yeah. good or bad? That's a different story. But like, yeah. you know, to create a game is simply that, you know, to yeah. like you got you got rules. People follow the rules. And then, you know, they reach their conclusion, you know, by X, Y, Z way. So it's been a, a wild endeavor to go down this road to create Emerald Templars. Uh, because there's always the the other thought process of like, will people actually even enjoy this, you know, and and invest sort of in this thing? Um, so the uh, um, the other aspect of Emerald Templars that I feel really passionately about is that this is also my opportunity to create a fantasy world and a genre and a game that like uh, really puts a focus uh, on like different communities and cultures mm-hmm. that are normally either misrepresented or underrepresented, you know, in the fantasy medium. So for example, I'm Chicano and I feel very strongly about my, my heritage of, of like, you know, uh, about a Mes- Mesoamerican things with Mayans, Aztecs, Incas, and like all the indigenous stuff. Me particularly, um, my roots go back to the Yaqui tribe, which is actually a tribe still existing in, in Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, which is like very weird history because like, uh, I always forget that I, um, being Mexican means I am indigenous, you know, like yeah. I am a native American. And I didn't realize that until I got my, like, I think 23 and me back. And it said like, Oh, you are, you know, 70%, you know, native American. And I was like, what? And then, uh, <laughs> you know, cause I don't, you know, I don't, you know, it's removed yeah. from your thought process that you are indigenous, you know, 
because mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, you're Mexican. You're like, uh, yeah. you're, you're not Native American or whatever, but it actually is. So anyways, um, yeah, there were the certain- U.S. just fucked over Mexicans is what happened. Yeah, dude, there's so much. <laughs> oh, my God. There's so much through there. Um, but essentially, I saw my own culture misrepresented multiple times. And one of the things that really made me mad was uh, the Yanti, essentially, for Dungeons mm-hmm. & Dragons. A lot of times their structures and their culture are very inspired by like Mesoamerican stuff where they have the, the pyramids and they have the, you know, blood sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. And the Yanti yeah. used to be, now they're no longer like that way, but they used to be like, you know, evil, like straight up. There was like, they only wanted to eat your babies and like, you know, kill yeah. you and yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And it, it sucked to have your culture like vilified in this sort of way being like, Oh, they're savages. There's no point in trying to deal with them and all that. And then seeing popular media also bring that, you know, uh into the to the forefront and meanwhile you see all of these eurocentric sort of ideas where like the more european it looks the 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 good the look like the the better morally it is and all that kind of stuff uh, yeah. and that always made me mad you know because it was just like that's not fair like that that yeah. sucks my culture is beautiful and they were very smart and they were very you know like had a lot of awesome things and, and progressed in many ways so I was like, all right, I'm, if I'm going to make this game, I really want to have these cultures represented in, in beautiful ways, like written by people from those cultures who also feel similarly uh, to me in those different regards. So like um, in my game, I do have like a South Asian representation where there'd be writers from Pakistan or like India and and uh, Bangladesh and all that kind of stuff. And then other ones from from the Middle East or North Africa um uh, where they're from like egypt and like saudi arabia and all that kind of stuff and then i have some from like uh just like the the black experience essentially from like yeah. either america and everything um and all these different ones and they're cult- like writers from all these different places that are all super hyped and excited to bring their own culture and what they love to the table and be able to to write about it and they it's all it's funny because they also like uh, aren't used to it so they're like can i do this and it's like do it like if, if that's yeah. what if this is your world if you want to do this then do it yeah. and they're like oh okay and they're starting to like you know really find themselves and like you know contribute to it heavily which is creating a beautiful experience because like uh even myself like i am fourth generation mexican-american you know from phoenix arizona and one of the writers is from colombia and another writer is from like was born and raised in mexico and then came over to the united states you know so mm-hmm. we all three even though we're writing about the same sort of major nation uh, our own like city states within them are drastically different from based yeah. upon our experiences and all that and it's a uh, it's beautiful to see that cuz it's it's refreshing and even the artwork which i feel like people are re- resonating with uh, reflects the different cultures that are coming in there, which is like <laughs> kind of an uh, an issue that I'm running into right now is that I almost have no white representation like at all. I was looking through the artwork and I was like, oh, wow, this is weird. Should I keep it like this? Or like, you know, and it's then fine. like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So like, uh, listen, so we, we've had to look at books that only have white representation exactly. in them. Even to I'm, this day. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think the one ring, I think that was a problem that they had when it came out where there was no... The Witcher too. At all. And oh, really? Witcher, Dragon Age, it's all. And I'm yeah. like, you can be a black person or a brown person in mm-hmm. Dragon Age. And yep. you couldn't draw one in the book. <laughs> exactly. So that's like that's what really makes me mad. And that's uh that's why I think people resonated with it. Cause I'm an indie, yeah. like, like this is my first game. Like, like mm-hmm. I let everyone know that that you know, there's there might be issues. I'm trying my best to play test it to uh, work out the kinks and all that kind of stuff, but this is you know. The thing I really want to bring to the table uh, and I think is fun. And thankfully, through the playtesting, a lot of people have uh, really gravitated towards it. Like, granted, I've, I've definitely made my mis- share of mistakes. 
uh, whether like, ooh, D'Angelo used sanity. And I don't think that's a really good term, you know, like then mm-hmm. I was like, got it. Now it's going to be lucidity. It's a little bit, you know, yeah. uh, less. And it still paints, you know, that that same picture of what, you know, that thing is. And it's like, oh, like there's blindness, deafness here. And that's kind of like ableist, you know, that's that's not, mm-hmm. you know, very good. And I'm like, oh, got it. We're going to change that. We're going to remove that completely. You know, that way we can, you know, make sure to respect and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, so I'll, like I'm definitely doing all of my due diligence to try my best to make this game uh, a a great game that people can pick up and really enjoy and have a fulfilling experience from it, you know? Yeah. Because um, that like I always wanted the experience of walking into a game store and seeing my my skin tone, you know, represented, even my ideally my culture represented in some way, shape, or form in one of the hundreds of books that are on the wall, you know? And that wasn't something that I had. So I would love to be able to create this game that can do that where like little brown geeks, you know, later on can walk into a game store and then see themselves and be like, Oh shit, I want to play that game. You know? And, uh, and it also speaks to mental health too. Cause in, in Emerald Templars, there are stress mechanics and those are kind of like your main health bars. And it's not just your physical well being that you need to maintain. It's also your anxiety, your anger, your like, you know, exhaustion. So if you push yourself too hard, cause like I always also thought about like Dungeons and Dragons where you are this like fighter, and you walk into the depths of the earth uh, down to like, you know, a crypt or something like that. And you see hordes of undead, like melt faces or like stab your friend and all that kind of stuff. And then you walk out with no PTSD or anything. And you're just like, I'm fine. You know, it's whatever, you know, and that's like so unrealistic. So, uh, yeah. 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 So I made sure so in Emerald. Problems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I made sure that in Emerald Templars, there was the anxiety factor where like and play and it's worked out beautifully, you know, because I'll see one of their companions starting to have a lot of anxiety or a lot of anger. And they go like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Let's let's address this, you know? And it's a very organic sort of role play where they take mm-hmm. care of one another. And because of that, like, uh, unified approach and experience, it, it feels more of an organic sort of, like, flow uh, to everything. And, you know, the the highs are higher and the lows are lower sort of thing yeah. for, for every experience. So it's, it's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I, I love that. I'm, I'm also, I'm also working on making a game. Oh, um, right on. Yeah, a big game, hopefully, and uh, and incorporating a lot of that stuff too. So it's interesting to hear yeah. your thoughts on that because um, that was an, an, a similar thing that I, I've always felt like. I hate the idea that um, a character with one hit point yep. is the same mechanically as a character with exactly. 189 hit points. That's fucking yeah. stupid. Um, and I also, I also really love the idea of like having to deal with stuff in game mm-hmm. and like having the ability to like work together with your team or whomever. Yep. So um, yeah, that, I love that. I think my, my game is going to be not a, a fantasy game though. I love fantasy games. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's similar, similar in that same regard. And I think that that's such a cool experience. I think a lot of the inspiration has come for me of just like seeing people in the community make indie games and like one page RPGs yeah. and short micro RPGs. And we're all kind of talking about this like experience of yeah. of stress, of human conflict, of emotionality, of, you know, helping each other and kind mm-hmm. of processing that stuff. And I think it those things make for games that like, yes, I want the fighting to be fun, but I also want yeah. the role play to feel good. Um, yeah. And I think those things make role play feel so good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's not, it's not hard. Granted, I, I say that, but it's... It, it, like it is very difficult, but at the mm-hmm. same time, um, it's not hard to understand that there are problems with the mainstream sort of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like one of the well, the wildest things that we all trick ourselves into believing that there's like we're beholden to them, you know, like yeah, like oh, like it, and like granted, you can make a uh, what's it called a supplement 
you know, four Dungeons and Dragons or Vampire the Masquerade and warp them and all this stuff. But if you're already like breaking so many aspects of a game just to make it work for you, you may as well just make your own game. Uh, and yeah. And yeah. How long, how long did it take for you to like have kind of the foundation of what you wanted before you felt like you were done enough to like start inviting writers in and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the concept of self, like I've had for a couple years, tried to write a novel for it and all that kind of stuff. So that part was like fleshed out mostly, uh, mm-hmm. granted it's had a lot of updates since like, uh, I brought in other writers cause they've like, like I love writers cause they poke holes in everything and it's yeah. like, yeah. So, uh, it's, it's amazing. But like, um, game design was a very, very hard aspect for me because it was something new, you know, all mm-hmm. I could rely, rely on was my what I enjoyed as a player, and I kind of like stuck to that as my North Star, um, was like, what did I enjoy during my experiences? And what do I wish could have been expanded upon or removed, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I I use those as my North Star. It got way easier when I decided to make the game myself. Because before, I tried to use another system. And I was like, like I said, like like shattering and breaking and bending things in ways that didn't quite work out with their system. To try to make myself make it work, and it just was really clunky. Yeah. Um, but once I decided to make my own game, it was a lot easier. So, and again, the the and I watched a lot of YouTube videos and a lot of Reddit posts because there's like RPG forms on there for game designers and everything, giving tips and tricks and advice on how to make certain things work, and that helped a lot. You know, to be like uh, and play tests, always mm-hmm. play tests were always good because you can see it in the faces of your players being like. Like, okay, I've got to do this and that and this and that and that. And if they start to struggle on things, you know, there's a problem. Like if they're doing too much math, it's like, all right, we got to make it (laughs) simpler, you know, like, like, or if they're getting confused or tripped up on stuff, or if they're like, uh, or focusing on one aspect, you know, then, you know, they're like, oh, that's a good aspect I need to expand upon because multiple people are having that similar experience, you know? So it really took probably, I would say, uh, six months for the game design aspect to get it like. Like, I didn't feel comfortable coming to Kickstarter uh, until, like, I had the main concept down, which a lot of people said, you could just go to Kickstarter with a concept and you're golden. You know, you can figure everything else out later. But, like, the concept is a major thing. So I already had that in the bag, which I was like, okay, that's good. I just need to figure out how to make a game that's playable. So that way, if it needed to be released, like, today, I would be able to deliver someone, you know, uh, lore and mechanics, you know. Yeah. Whether they're good, uh, you know, that's a different story, but I could at least deliver that. So that's when I felt comfortable enough to move forward and be like, you know, and and also I had a lot of playtests that were already live on YouTube and Twitch and everything. That way, if anyone wanted to come and be like, you know, is this guy legit? Is this a real game or real product? Or is he just yeah. trying to swindle us? You know, they could clearly see that like, oh, okay, here's the rules. I understand the concept. I can see that it's legit. And like, uh, this is a real deal. Because I've, I've also seen... The, the other unfortunate aspect of being a BIPOC uh, tabletop RPG designer uh, is that there have been other BIPOC designers that people have put a lot of time, money, and energy uh, into, and they failed the community in major ways, you know, mm-hmm. in like whether it be sexual harassment or outright mm-hmm. lying to their, you know, uh, backers or like what have you, which has kind of like poisoned the well yeah. and made it harder for all other BIPOC designers beyond them you know yeah so like and and to be clear that doesn't only happen in the bipoc mm-hmm. designer community True. it happens yeah, in my yeah. community too but we just get uh we're always going to be punished more for yeah. somebody go- doing something wrong um but like if you like literally look at like 
the people that get added on Twitter, 99% of the time, it's not us. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think that's important. That's an important point. Like there have, mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, I know some of those people you're talking about. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, but we're held at a different standard. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that creates an unfortunate situation yeah, for people like yourself who are just trying to, you know, do right. Exactly. Especially when you look at other, like, if if you look at a white game designer and they're you're like, I'm going to make a D&D thing or I'm going to make my own game, then people are like, oh, hell yeah, I'm excited for that. But if they're BIPOC, then it's like, could you actually, though? Like, yeah. could you really, <laughs> yeah. you know? And that's that harder layer where I'm going to show up. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I made it like I made it very, very clear that I'm going to be transparent in all fronts, not only with like the public uh, and the backers and all kind of stuff, but also with my own writer team. So there's no like, you know, um, I don't know, curtain and like yeah. weird things happening in the background. You know, it's all at the forefront. Like, here's how much money we spend on art. Here's how much money that's in the bank. Here's, how, you know, you can get your money immediately. Like, if you give me the work, you know, all that sort of stuff. That way they feel like always comfortable because I hate how like uh, sleazy it is in this community mm-hmm. sometimes. You know, when you see all of these like Twitter threads about how horrible people have been treated or like bamboozled for all their hard time and hard work and energy, you know, yeah. and it's, uh, it's wild. But, anyways, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I think it's, I think it's so cool. And, um, I mean, it's just, it's great to have more representation out there. I think it's, that's one of my favorite things is now like being in the space is seeing people do this stuff. Yeah. And I think what a lot of us all have that same kind of mission of just like, yeah, I, I didn't see this growing up and I want to create this and I wanted to do this and I wanted to at least add my voice to it, uh, add other, yeah. you know, BIPOC voices to it. Yeah. It's, it's super cool. You know, so game writing, you were talking about, it's, it is pretty difficult. Like technical mm-hmm. writing is a whole other skill yes. that you don't really think about. Um, as you were going through it, like, because I think it's good. I mean, I know I'm not the only person, uh, you know, I, I have listeners on the show who I think who do game design stuff too. So I think yeah. it's just a great conversation. Like when you were going through that, you know, how how long do you think it, it felt until you felt like you were comfortable with it? I know you said it was a six-month mm-hmm. process before you felt like the mechanics were down, but like, do you still feel uncomfortable writing game mechanics sometimes? Uh, honestly, uh, only when it comes to balancing. That's the part okay. that I struggle with because that's the math part. That's like the yeah. legit, you know. Uh, and and like I have I have a lot of friends who love to like break systems you know people (laughs) like all right i found an infinite loop in your system if i do this then that then that therefore it allows me you know and then and i can't see that it's like playing chess you know it's like i can't see that because right in front of me is like all right what does this thief do all right he has the ability to like you know throw pocket sand you know at you and all that kind of stuff and everything so like um when it comes to game design in that aspect i go back to uh the the core you know of what we kind yeah. of know we're like you know what is it that that you you're supposed to do in this game and you know how do we make things that that kind of like support those main concepts because mm-hmm. uh you know in this game it's not just about like deadly combat it's also about your character being a real person so what would they like what are their interests as a real person and what can they that do to bring that to the table so if they are like a paladin, they're not just a paladin. That's their whole life mission. They might also want to be a chef and they have points in being a chef and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. then how does that benefit them? You know, so like, because uh, I always hate it when you play video games or you play uh, different things and there's a blaringly obvious like, uh, oh, if you don't pick 
this specific talent tree, then you're useless. You know, mm-hmm. like I always hated yeah. that in World of yeah. Warcraft. Um, so I never wanted to have that. So I kind of want to have balance, but at the same time, you risk the you you run the risk of making thing, everything so bland to the point where it doesn't matter what you pick. It's all kind of the same. So mm-hmm. it's this really hard sort of like push and pull. And I give a lot of credit to game designers who have come before me uh, because it is difficult. It is very, very rough, you know, and the only way I can I'm the only way that I can navigate through it is like uh, tons of play tests, you know, yeah. with um, people who have never played a tabletop RPG, people who have barely played a tabletop RPG. And people who have played tons of RPGs because they all have different, you know, perspectives. Because they're like, because I always hate it when people are like, "Oh, well, I'm used to Call of Cthulhu, so therefore you should make your game more like Call of Cthulhu." Yeah. You know, whereas yeah, yeah. other people who have never, you know, ha- who don't have any experience, is like, "I actually really enjoy this. It makes sense, and it's like very easy." And then the middle of the ground people uh, who are like, you know, I think it's solid, but it's kind of weird that I have to do X, you know, uh, mm-hmm. here. And if we could like find a way to kind of make it easier or remove it, then I think it would be good. And then that way you can like, you know, you can push and pull those things. So you have different play tests, you know, with all those three things where like, you know, you keep it the same, you like remove that aspect or you expand it on that other aspect and then see which group like enjoys it the most. And then, you know, you just keep uh, going through it. And, uh, and thankfully it's because if it's bad, there'll be, you can see it on the faces of your players or you can, mm-hmm. you know, if there's a pause in the game uh, for you or them, there's clearly a glaring issue. And then after you like, like get through that stuff, uh, you start to find like when things get sort of smooth and, uh, and you know, you're in a good spot when no one has to pause, no one has to ask questions. Uh, and then they're actually like looking through the rules to be like, oh shit, I can do that. All right, cool. I'm going to do that then. And they, when they get excited too about, you know, doing like an awesome play where it's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to climb up to this tight tree and that's going to give me high ground. So that's going to give me a bonus on this thing. And I'm going to shoot down on this dude, which, you know, and then like, uh, it's, it's wild to see them, you know, play with your rules that you created, you know, with mm-hmm. this. so yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. But a lot of play tests is the main thing. Yeah. 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 Play testing. That's like the one part that I'm, because I'm, I just get so impatient. You know what I mean? And it's like yeah. mechanical writing. You have to, you have to spell it out so people can play it. But yes, I want so yeah. badly for people to play the game that I am just like <laughs> every day. I'm just like, fuck. I just wish I was done so people could play this goddamn game because I just want. Yep. I'm just like so excited to see that. Even if it's like, whoa, this doesn't make any sense. I'm just like excited for people to interact with yeah. it, um, which I think is good, right? Like if if we're passionate about the thing that we're doing and mm-hmm. we love it then hopefully that'll resonate with people who get, who pick it up. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's super cool. What, what is the primary die that you use in your game? I think the D20 is used like a lot in things. So I try to gravitate towards uh, the, the lower end of dice. So like, yeah. I honestly love my D4. Like it rarely ever gets used, but like, so in, in Emerald Templars, uh, the D4, the D6 uh, and the D8 are mainly the ones that are used. If you do some pretty awesome stuff, then it's a D12 and and uh, uh, D10. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I take that back. So so in Emerald Templars, uh, when you try to do anything, you're going to roll your percentile D10. So it's just your D10 with like, um, you know, the, the 10 digit. One. Yeah. So like one zero, two zero, all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's the one you have to do for everything. Uh, but what's fun about it is that that die is how it's read. So it's zero to 90, not like, you know, uh 10 to 100 um yeah. and that's always really fun for players to to roll a zero and they just all die laughing that like they horribly messed up and they have to explain how they fuck you know messed yeah. up so it's yeah it's pretty fun yeah 
Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think I love D twenties. Like I, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, it's They're such a fun dice. Main one. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But, um, I do, there are some D 100 game, like, especially Delta greens, like the main one that I really mm-hmm. just enjoy. Um, and I think D 100 systems can make a lot of sense just because it's like you, you have this yeah. amount of skill percentage of skill. And if you, can hit within that percentage that makes sense but yeah i i think it's just like but yeah but i have all these d20s so right yeah, that's what I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. so yeah I, I love i love i love mixing it up though i think it's really cool mm-hmm. um you know yeah d4s are great but they just, it's they're so hard to pick up <laughs> so, like they're literally right, yeah. built and i also love to I play warhammer <laughs> yeah because I, I play warhammer 40k and one of the things in warhammer 40k is which you know there's aspects of it in in tabletops as well uh, is that there's just the mo- like the dice pool and the multiple dice, you know, I yeah. love that feeling mm-hmm. of, you know, oh, okay, my 18, you know, Imperial Guardsmen are going to shoot with their last guns uh, at this, you know, one chaos space marine or whatever. So that's going to be like, you know, uh, was it 20 some shots, uh, you know, of this sort of thing. So then you just like roll all your D6s <laughs> and then see, you know, what it is and then you look at it. So I always love that feeling because it makes you feel powerful to, to yeah. roll that. Sorry about my math, by the way. I'm like, no, yeah. no, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> So, it's fine. Math uh, yeah, you're right there. So um, it's a lot of fun. So that's what I try to incorporate to in Emerald Templar. So that way, even if you're using a D4, there's a chance that you could roll two D4s, three D4s, you know, or whatever. Um, and then also that that math as well, like I said before, as to like, because uh, if you think about it, like you could do two D4s uh, and that's a D8, you know, but if you roll mm-hmm. a D8, you have the chance of running a one to an eight. Uh, whereas if you do two D4s, that's a two to, a, you know, an eight. Um, yeah. so it gives you a slight advantage, but there's also like, you know, averages and everything that, that make it a little bit more difficult, but, uh, it's just a different feel. It's kind of refreshing to be able to do something different from the norm, you know? Yeah. Um, for sure. that's what I, I definitely wanted people when they pick up Emerald Templars to get that feeling of like, this is different and refreshing from what I'm normally used to. So like, you know, it's, it's cool experience or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And if, um, I mean, if you still have some time, we're, we hit an hour, but if you still got some time, I'd love to talk about uh, The Geek Life, um, which is your sure. podcast. Are you still doing that show? Yeah, for sure. So The Geek Life is uh, a website that I created in, I think it's like 2012, um, like 10 years now, I uh, now that I think about it, uh, where I essentially was extremely introverted. Um, and then I went to my first ever convention to meet a specific cosplayer. Uh, and I like made my own cosplay and like, you know, spent a bunch of money. I had a horrible anxiety about driving, but I still drove uh, and and went down to there and like found parking and all that kind of stuff. Super like, like just like riddled with anxiety and yeah. ended up going to that convention, found the cosplayer that I really wanted to, to meet. And the sole reason why I wanted to go just to be like, hey, I really appreciate everything you do. You really inspire me in X, Y, and Z ways. And my experience, like, interacting with them was horrid. It was, like, the worst possible scenario ever. And it was really unfortunate. I was, like, super down in the dumps and brokenhearted. Uh, and I felt like an idiot for spending all this time, money, and energy uh, coming here for nothing, you know? Yeah. And uh, thankfully, while walking the halls of the convention center, I ended up finding another cosplayer. And she was like, hey, you know, I'm selling my stuff. Do you want to check it out? And I was like, oh, no, thank you. And she could clearly see I was visibly uncomfortable and, and like, sad. And she actually took the time to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you okay? Like, do you want to like, you know, talk like what's going on? And I kind of like, uh, you know, explained to her the situation and, and felt like stupid and, and dumb or whatever. And she really took the time to 
like comfort me and chat with me and all that kind of stuff and really like help me bounce back. And I looked at her and then I was like, oh my gosh, she's such a great person. That's awesome. And then I looked at the her stuff and I was like, I've never heard her name before at all. And yet mm-hmm. she's the one that's like uh, treating me with such kindness and care. Yeah. And like, like, why aren't people like this talked about more as opposed to people like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of made me, you know, inspired to go home. And of course, like, I'll do it myself, you know, is the same you know concept <laughs> yeah. where I went home that day, got on WordPress, got a, you know, URL. And uh, started writing articles like celebrating and uplifting people that I wanted to see celebrated, you know, that are never talked about, mainly with the focus of like BIPOC or LGBTQ representation, because yeah. that was so starved in the, the geek community, even though they there were many people who exist, you know, uh, and I through that journey, I got to, you know, meet a lot of friends. I got recognized by multiple outlets and like, you know, I got to make a lot of connections. And after 10 years of hard work. Uh, I have a lot of inter- interviews under my belt, which is beautiful because like, especially starting back out in 2012, I was admiring people who I'm now interviewing, you know, today yeah. Uh, yeah. and everything and, and who know my name. And, and, you know, it's it's just such a mind blowing experience, which also leads, you know, that kind of bleeds in the tabletop sort of scene because I've been around the block for conventions and cosplay. So when I enter the tabletop scene, I'm like, all right, I know, like, I have, a, I have enough wisdom and experience to understand how to navigate through this like an influencer, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also I can put those project management skills and also that hard work, dedication, networking, you know, professionalism um, to work in these spaces to make sure that everyone that I interact with, all the projects that I touch are uh, as good as I can, you know, as, as good as possible, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I listened to your interview with, um, and forgive me if I'm saying her name wrong, but Utahime. Yes, and, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 and um, yeah, that was so good, and and I think you know you have a great interview style, and and it definitely felt like that, like it was a very comfortable, yeah. um, relaxed conversation, and I think, yeah, it's so good. I think I love seeing more voices out there talking about this stuff, and and just kind of like yeah, bringing that representation, and and yeah. it's just so important to get you know more different a variety of voices out there so we can say yeah. like you know because i think we all come at it from different experiences different different stories different backgrounds etc and it's like mm-hmm. you and i can interview the same person and, and have a completely different conversation because we yeah we have different ideas about you know the things that we want to know or the things we're curious about or the experiences that we want to touch on etc um yeah. and i think it's yeah it's so important for more people to hear those stories because you even even as much as is going on now, I'm sure as you feel the same way is like, there's still, we still need more representation. We still need more games created by the BIPOC community. We still need Mm -hmm. more, um, you know, focus on these performers and cosplayers and, uh, designers, et cetera. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's awesome. It's, It's, yeah, it's definitely giving voices to people who are typically underrepresented or over like looked a lot of the times, because that's the main thing that like the, my North star is making sure that the artist is heard and, and, you know, has a safe space to like, like, you know, preach their piece essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times, especially in cosplay, you know, in tabletop RPGs, it's, it's slightly a different story. Um, but in cosplay, like a lot of people will see a like scantily clad, beautiful woman with a type a body and they'll focus solely on that, you know, and not the mm-hmm. person within you know the costume you know it's like how long did it take you to make this costume what is the hardest aspect of this so like career that people might not even care about or know about or whatever and it's wild to to ask those people to have different questions because you'll like um one of my favorite interviews 
uh, was actually from a cosplayer who isn't super well liked. Like, uh, granted, she has tons of fans, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but as a person, she comes off as very rigid and very cold and very like calculated and all that kind of stuff. But when I got to interview her, she explained to me um, that like, you know, this is a job for me. This is my career. That's why I, you know, w- like when you see me in my body and it's like super fit and everything like that, that's because I go to the gym and I work out like X amount of hours every single day and I yeah. go on a strict diet so that way I can look good, you know, because if, you know, in order to succeed in this industry, you need to be, you know, have as many advantages as possible. And this is the way that I can succeed, which was, I felt like a very refreshing, like, honest truth you know because that's 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 the truth you know if you want to be successful in something you got to put that time work and energy uh and you can't always rely on being like you should accept me for how i am right now and you know just because you know it's Mm -hmm. like if you want to be the best you've got to you know put that work in and i was like oh dang that's true you know and that kind of inspired me uh, a lot of times because i applied that to whatever i'm working on so it's like if i truly want my project to succeed then I need to bust my ass harder than my peers because that's what's going to ultimately determine whether something is, is you know, uh, more successful, you know, uh, better in terms of mechanics or what have you is because of the time and energy you put in. Like what you put in is what you get out, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, and like although there's a lot of like awesome, you know, things about manifesting or optimism or anything like that at the core foundation, that's what it really is, is when you get in what you put out. Uh, or you get out what you put in, essentially. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was. Well, I think yeah. especially when it comes to to something like art, right? Like whether and whether that art is drawing or writing or cosplay, yes. like you you have to do it to get better. Um, yes. We mm-hmm. we all got to start somewhere. We all, you know, I. I could put together, you know, my first the first game I made was a one page RPG, um, and. Uh, I had Nick Butler on the show who created Tidebreaker and and he yeah, looked at yeah. it. Yeah. And he looked at it and he was like, he's like, this is good. But like, he's like, you know, a, a good techn- technical writing edit going through this would like help you. And mm-hmm. like understanding like just because you know what this means doesn't mean other people know what this means. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that was so valuable for me now going through stuff and being like, okay, like you wrote this paragraph. It's a great paragraph. Um, but you also wrote a concept in here that you've never explained before. Mm-hmm. How is anybody going to know what the fuck you're talking about? Yep. And so, yeah. And so you like kind of going through that and having to go back and, and do stuff, which, um, yeah, I think it's, it's so cool and it's so important, but it, it's, it's tough, right? Like, you, you know, creating that game, you, it's like, I don't know, this is kind of a tangent now, but yes, I think art is, you know, we, you have to practice, you have to continue to do it. Yeah. Um, back to game design, I think you have that level, like, I'm sure you've dealt with this too, of I want crunch, but I also want this. I also want narrative. And I think so many of us who enjoy both of those things, look at this and go, where's my balance? Like you talked about balance of mechanics, but like also what's the balance of like crunch that I want? Do I want to give rules for every little thing? And then, or is it like, okay, I don't want to just make it so that the players and the GMs have to improvise every single thing that they're doing either. Exactly, yeah. Like, because I think that there's driving points. Each game has a different process, a different point to it. And it's like, like you said, like, yes, there's fighting in it, but also there's these other mechanics that you have to engage with these stress mechanics yeah. and, and, you know, of different varying levels and how you deal with that. Um, so what prompts those things to come up in game? Uh, yeah. You know, and, and for me, yeah. yeah, for me, it was, um, 
I had to really, I had like a coming to Jesus moment because uh, there was a, like a lot of what I do and a lot of what I create is going, thinking outside of the box and creating something different. And like, even, even if it's not as popular to create something different, you know, and mm-hmm. when you say that, um, it seems very like rebellious, very punkish. It's like, yeah, that's so cool. But then when you look at the numbers and the sales, it it doesn't look so cool anymore when you're like, <laughs> oh, right. I put myself in a box and a niche, you know, category. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't do so well in a business sort of mindset. And business is really what I had to, to also figure out. It's not just technical writing. It's also marketing and like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. sales and everything like that. Because even though I'm like, I want this to be you know, a game for the people and I want it to be affordable. But then it's like, okay, well, you just spent like, you know, thousands of dollars on this. Do you really not want anything to come out of it? And it's like, oh, yeah. you're right. Yeah. I kind of want to eat or like, you yeah. know, sort of thing. So um, when it comes to those things, I had to cater to uh, the general public. So I myself as a tabletop RPG player love a hardcore environment where like death is around every corner. I need to really pay attention and focus and like look at all my assets and like uh, manage my inventory where it's like, okay, I have 12 arrows and I just shot three of them. So therefore mm-hmm. I have to make sure to save these arrows or use them right now, you know, depending on what to do. And then I have to think of rations and like, you know, encumbrance for my backpack and all that stuff. I love that stuff because that makes me feel gritty and real. But the, the fact is not a lot of other people like that stuff. You know, there is a community yeah. for it, but the general, you know, populace and public don't like that. So if I really want people to pick up and play my game, I need to cater, you know, to them. Granted, without like completely compromising my values and what I want them to experience in this game, mm-hmm. but at the same time, finding that that balance. And the way that I found, at least for me, uh, a solution to that is optional rules. So like uh, putting the elements of like inventory management, ammunition, friendly fire, you know, like uh, all of these phobias and all that kind of stuff, all of these different mechanics that I think would be fun to play uh, mm-hmm. But putting them as optional rules so that way it's like, all right, if you truly want to play in a hardcore fashion, here's the other additional rules that you can implement into your game. Uh, and for playing a more hardcore version of the game, you all get awarded extra experience to make you guys level up faster. So you can decide whether or not you want to have this experience and get rewarded for it for being like, hell yeah, let's do it. You know? Yeah. Uh, and because I love that. Like I love yeah. like when I play like Diablo or any other games. I purposely put it to hardcore mode because I want that challenge and I also want that reward mm-hmm. uh, for it. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of what I've found to deal with it is like cater to the general public because they're going to be the ones that are going to buy your game. And if they pick it up and play it and it's way too hard for them, they're not going to play it again. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so you need to make it a little bit easier for them to be able to want to come to back and return without that much of a uh, like investment or, you know, um, or anything like that, uh, mm-hmm. because I feel like so many people have been normalized with Dungeons and Dragons that we all just know the system so well that it's easier to gravitate towards Dungeons and Dragons. So it's because we just know the system, yeah, uh, and we can just go, you know. So how do you create that for indie games? Uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, that's super cool. I mean, this has been such a such a fun conversation uh, to talk to you. This is actually today that we're recording this is is the one year anniversary of the show. Um, wow. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah, thanks. Yeah. And uh yeah, this is this is fantastic. So um thank you for coming on and mm-hmm. sharing your story and and talking game design because I'm I'm in love with it right now. So that that was mostly for me and, and <laughs> hopefully course, my listeners yeah. will enjoy that too. I'm sure they will. Um but yeah, you know, if if you would like uh where can people find you and, and your stuff that you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on all social media at that underscore D'Angelo. 
and I have a link tree that will lead you to, you know, my website, thegeeklife.com, as well as Emerald Templars. And it is uh, currently up for pre-order. So if you are interested in the game and you like, you know, the concept and everything, or just want to check it out more, you can actually be able to go and visit it and then pre-order your own copy. And then there's even dice or stickers or whatever if you uh, want to support it even further. And uh, yeah, thank you again for having me. Yeah, of course, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show. And if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. 